Pastor John, it's good to be with you again this week. Thank you for joining us. You were the founding pastor and longtime only pastor of Sagemont. And um, for those that are new this week, I've, I've asked you to come and sort of share the heart and the history behind Sagemont's core values. We have seven core values as a church. And you and the team got together and came up with seven of them. This loving God, which we talked about last week. And each individual matters is the second one. I remember looking at that when I was checking Sagemont out when you called me. Um, talk a little bit about that. What do you mean by each individual matters? And, and why is that a sort of a, a driving important value in the life of Sagemont? I think we'd all agree that we're all totally different. And uh, God made us. Uh, we didn't make ourselves. We didn't choose our race, our color, our location, our parents, or none of that. But God had a plan. There is no priority among the people of God. He died for all of us. It matters not what our politics are. It doesn't matter what our background is, our pocketbook. But He has a plan. And if we don't reach everybody, something's going to be left undone because He had a plan for that life and this life and the other life. And so we just want anyone that comes in the door of the church, I think here at Sagemont, I know so, and you and I are so close on this, they matter. That's and we right. want them to know that they matter. That's right. And that's so good because I, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that sort of drew me to Jesus and, and helped me realize his love for me was, you know, that verse where it talks about he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one, you know. And so each individual human being really does matter to God, which is crazy. He's God. Yeah. But he knows all the hairs on our head. He knows us. He knows our names before we were born. All of our days were planned out. He knows each one. You know, one of the things that, um, one of the practical ways that you've lived this out, I remember as I've heard some of your sermons, you talk about the importance of people finding a church within a church. Talk a little bit about that and why even though we're individuals, it's important for us to get connected to the body of Christ. It is so important that you get connected. This is the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. And we are saved not to go to heaven, not that moment, but we are saved for a purpose. And we're important to God. I guess one of the best illustrations I could give you, and I use it often here uh, at Sagemont, is um, our yard here. You know, we have a big campus. If you're here on a Saturday morning, daylight, you will see those lawnmowers and these people. Well, when people drive down the freeway out here, that's the first thing they see. And when it catches their eye, then they come on the campus. They see the cross. Then somebody steps out of the car. They start visiting. They know they matter. That person that works on that team out there uh, are just as important as the one in the pulpit. That's right. And we wouldn't be preaching to folks if they weren't drawn. And it all starts with him. We want to get them to him. That's exactly right. And so each individual person matters to God, but then the body of Christ together matters to God too. Thank you so much for um, making that a value. Um, I hope that we honor that and live that out as a church in the years to come. Pastor John, thank you for being with us today. I look forward to seeing you next week. You know, I, it hit me when I was watching that earlier. I was like, yeah. Pastor John's awesome, and it hit me this morning, I was watching that, and I was like, Pastor John has the coolest voice I think I've ever heard in my life. He's got one of those awesome preacher voices that I just didn't get 
So I'm jealous a little bit. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to be in Luke 15, 1 today. So we're going to start off, and we'll get there in just a minute. Luke 15. Well, guys, we're going through our series where we're looking at the core values of Sagemont. And today we're looking at the core value of each individual matters. Each individual matters. Now, to understand what this is about today, I, I looked up uh, the word matters in the dictionary, and it's a verb, and it, and it means to be of importance or to have significance. And so the heart behind this core value here at Sagemont is to remind us that every individual person, whether inside or outside the doors, has significance and importance to God, and to remind ourselves that every person in the room here today that's a believer has significance and importance to the growth and the mission of the body of Christ here at this church. Now, I want to talk for a second about why. Why every individual matters, and this idea is something that we need to be reminded of today, and here's why. Because a large church is an easy place to hide. A large church is an easy place to hide. When I planted the church that I pastored in Austin for 18 years, um, I read some statistics that shocked me when I was first getting started. I read that the overwhelming majority of churches, that 80% of the people, or rather 20% of the people did 80% of the work. And so you said Christian church in the United States, only 20% of the people did 80% of the work of the ministry, of the giving and the serving and, and the discipling and that sort of thing. And as a young, naive pastor, I thought, I'm going to change that. We're going to be different here at this church. Well, when we started, it actually worked. We started with 18 people in an apartment, and then in our first public service, we had about 100 folks that came. And, and when you're in a church that only has 100 people in it, it hits everyone that's there that if this thing's going to work, if we're going to succeed, then I've got to play my part, that I've got to do my role. And pretty much everyone there, they, everyone there gave, everyone there served, everyone there um, jumped in and played their part to make sure the church was what it ought to be. But then I woke up one day, and there were thousands of people coming. There were thousands of people coming, and I sort of looked around, and I realized that we were just like every other church in America, where 20% of the people were doing 80% of the work for the ministry, and 80% of the people just kind of sit back and consumed it. Now, what happened? What, like, what happened? Because I had all the right intentions. Well, here's what happens. When thousands of people are coming to a church... It's really easy to put yourself on the sidelines and to sit back and sort of assume that everyone else will do the work of the ministry or, or will engage and do the things that the church needs in order to be everything that Jesus has called us to be. And so that's sort of the first challenge of being in a large church. It's easy to sit back on the side, sit on the sidelines and just consume. Here's the other challenge, being a part of a large church. A large church is an easy place to sort of come and hide and not be either challenged or cared for as an individual Christian. Now, if there's anything I've learned in 26 years in the ministry, I've, this uh, November, I've been in uh, full-time vocational ministry for 26 years. And if there's anything I've learned in those years is that we all have something in our lives that we struggle with. 
Whether it hits us, whether or not we think about it or realize that every single one of us has struggles and pains and areas in our life where we're weak and we need the body of Christ and we need Christ to engage in us and change us and fix us and heal us. But the problem is in a larger church is it's incredibly easy to sort of just blend in and disappear into the crowd and never really be challenged or never really be discipled or never really be cared for even as an individual believer. And so that's what this sermon is all about. And here at Sagemont, we want to make it hard for you to hide. We want to make it hard for you to hide. And I want to show you today through this sermon that every individual matters. That everybody that walks through the doors of this church, you matter to the Lord. You matter to us as a church. And above and beyond all that, if you're a believer here today, you play, you play a critical role and the growth and the health of the body of Christ here at Sagemont Church. So pretty short message today, very simple message today, but here's what I'll do. I'll look at two things. If you're taking notes, look at two things we're going to be done. Number one, we're going to look at each individual matters to God. That's just the first thing. Sounds pretty straightforward, but it's not so straightforward to a lot of folks. Each individual matters to God. And then the second and last thing I'll look at today is each individual matters to the church. Okay, so let's look at that first one together. Um, each individual matters to God. Now again, in a minute, I'm going to talk about how each one of you that's a believer plays a critical role in the life and the mission of the church. But before you'll ever do that, before you'll ever engage and say, all right, Lord, I, I want to serve you, I want to get in the fight for you, you have to realize that every single individual person matters to the Lord. Now again, that sounds straightforward, but not everybody really gets that. And feels that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I see a lot of Christians struggling with in, uh, in the United States and, and kind of in this generation is they struggle with this. I'll hear them say something to the effect of, you know, I know that God loves the world, but I'm just not sure that God loves me. I hear that more often than, than you'd think. I hear people say, you know, I know God loves us and he cares about us. But I'm just not convinced that God cares about me. I hear that all the time. And if that's you today, if that's sort of what you struggle with, I want to share a parable with you quickly from Jesus that I hope just sort of puts that to bed forever. And so let's look at it together. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Let me stop for just a second, leave that up, and I want to say this. Tax collectors were people that were hated in the culture. Nobody liked tax collectors. And sinners were people that were not close to God. They were not considered righteous, and they were drawn to the person of Jesus. And the Pharisees, which were the religious guys at the time, they didn't like it. They didn't like that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And so look at verse 2. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them? And in verse 3, he says, so he told them this parable. And so Jesus told them this parable. In verse 4, he said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, okay? So this, this is a parable that Jesus told the Pharisees and the people, and what it's all about, hear this, 
It's a parable that shows us just how valuable you are as an individual person to the creator of the universe, okay? Pharisees came to Jesus. They were mad. They didn't like him. They were grumbling because he was hanging out with sinful people, and he turns to him, and he says, look, fellas, who among you, if, if you had a uh, hundred sheep, and 99 of them were good, but one of them took off and ran away and was lost, who among you wouldn't leave the 99 sheep and go after that one lost sheep and find it? And then once you found the one lost sheep, who among you would not take it and put it on your shoulders and carry it home rejoicing? Now, here's the thing to remember, church. Here's the question. Who are these lost sheep that Jesus is talking about in this parable that he leaves the 99 and goes after? The lost sheep in this parable, church, is you and me. We forget sometimes that, that that story is not some story about everyone else, but that, if you're here today and you're a believer, that is your story. There was a, there was a moment in time, have you, have you ever thought about that? There was a moment in time in history when you as an individual had taken off, you were running away from him, you were lost, and you had absolutely no hope whatsoever, and Jesus left everything and went and found you as an individual person. It's unbelievable. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped to think about that you were so valuable to him, that you were so important to him that he left the 99 and he did not stop looking until he found you? And then he puts you on his shoulders and he carried you home rejoicing. And so God doesn't just love and care for us. He loves and he cares for you. Sometimes we forget that. And if that were not amazing enough, let's look at the last two verses here. Look at verse 6. And Jesus said, he can finishes the parable here. He says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so if it were not amazing enough that Jesus left the 99 to come and find you, church, but there was a moment in your past, there was a moment in your history that when he found you and you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior and he put you on his shoulders, that all of heaven went bananas. Have you ever thought about that? There was a moment in history, in the moment he found you, in the moment you trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, that all of heaven was cheering and shouting with joy over you. It's pretty incredible to think about. If I'm ever at a place in my life where I'm feeling down, if I ever get to the place where I feel worthless, if I ever struggle in times I do to believe that God really loves me as an individual person, I remember that cold night in January of 1993 when Jesus found this wayward, rebellious, running sheep. And he found me. And he put me on his shoulders and he brought me home to the sound of 10,000 angels losing their minds. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for you. And so here's the thing, believer, some of you need to hear this today. Don't ever let Satan tell you that you don't matter to God. 
Don't ever believe that for one second that you as an individual person don't matter to God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You know how I know it's a lie from the pit of hell? Because of the blood of Jesus. There is nothing in this world, there's nothing in this universe that's more valuable than the blood of Jesus. But on a, on a cross, on Calvary, 2,000 years ago, he shed his blood for you to buy your pardon and to bring you home. So don't ever forget that each individual person matters to God. All right? Well, the rest of the sermon here, let's look at this. Let's look at the second point today, and it's a critical one for the life of the church. And that's each individual person matters to the church. Okay, now let me show you what I'm talking about by asking you a question. Don't shout it out, but just think about it. What is the mission of the church? Okay, we're a church. What are we supposed to be doing? Like, what's our role? What's our calling? Are we just supposed to have some worship services and sing and listen to some sermons and go on with our lives? Is that the mission of the church? Well, there's a couple of places in the scripture where Jesus gets very specific about what we're supposed to be doing as a, as a body of Christ and as a church. First place was a time where Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He stopped, he looked at him, and he asked him a question. He said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they responded and said, well, people think you're Elijah. They think you're John the Baptist. They think you're a prophet. Then he stopped and looked at him again, and he said, okay. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter was the first one to talk, because Peter's always the first one to talk. And Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, and you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. Peter, he said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But your Father in heaven revealed that to you. And he said, Peter, upon this rock. And he's not talking about the person of Peter. I'll teach you guys that one day. But when you look at the language, he's talking about people who make the confession that he is the Christ and the Son of the living God. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, for years, that's... that's Step one of the mission of the church. And for years when I heard that, that upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For years, when I read that, I heard that, and I thought that Jesus was saying that the church of Jesus Christ was on defense. I sort of read that, and what I envisioned and heard is that we're on defense, and and hell's charging and coming at us, and, and we're going to withstand the onslaught of hell. But when you look at it, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. What is he saying? He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. His point is that the church is on offense. We're on the attack. We are the ones that are charging the gates of hell. And here's the promise of Jesus, is that we are going to win. I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care how bad it gets. When every king and when every kingdom is no longer standing, the church of Jesus Christ is still going to be standing. We win. Jesus said it. I believe him. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay? So that's step one in the mission of the church. We are going to charge the gates of hell, and we're going to trample them down. Now, second part, don't turn there. Just listen. Very well-known verse. The second part of the mission of the church is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the mission of the church. So our job, if you're a believer, you're part of the body of Christ, and our job in the fleeting years that we have left here on this planet is to fulfill the great commission, and we're going to tear down the gates of hell in the process. So that's the mission of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, there's another question. How important are you in that mission? You're Christian here. How important are you as an individual Christian in fulfilling that mission, of fulfilling the Great Commission and tearing down the gates of hell? As just a normal person that lives in Houston, Texas in 2020, how important are you? Are you, as you think about it, are you not really that important? Sort of important? Kind of important? Well, let me ask you another question to get our minds around this. I'm a pastor. Is my role as a pastor more important than your role in fulfilling the Great Commission and fulfilling the mission of the church? What if I told you that the answer is no? That when you look at the Bible, and you actually look what the Scripture says about you as a, just a, a person that's indwelt with the Spirit of God, that comes to church and is the believer, what if I told you that your role in fulfilling the Great Commission and your role in fulfilling the mission of the church is just as important as mine? All right, let's turn there. Ephesians 4.11. I'm going to show you exactly where it says that. Ephesians 4.11. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. This verse is absolutely critical for us to get our brains around as a church. If you're a Christian here today, tune in. I need you to listen. Ephesians 4.11, Paul says, and he gave some. So he's talking about giving the church, talking about the Lord. said he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. So the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says that the Lord raised up certain people to be uh, evangelists. He raised certain people up to be um, uh, pastors and teachers, and he gave these gifts, and he gave them to people so that they could do what? Why did God give these people these gifts and give them to the church? Look at verse 12. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. In verse 12i, it says, to equip the saints. To equip the saints. And so, according to Ephesians 4.12, why did God raise up guys like me and give them the ability to be a pastor and a teacher? It says, to equip the saints. Now, church, who are the saints? Say it. Who are the saints? Y'all are. That's right. The word saints means holy ones, the people of the church, okay? Now, according to Ephesians 4.12, what am I, as a pastor, teacher, equipper, supposed to be equipping you, the saints, for? What am I supposed to be training you for? What am I equipping you for? Look at Ephesians 4.12 one more time. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. And so listen carefully, don't miss this. What the Holy Spirit inspired, infallible word of God just said is that you, as the saints, are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. 
that my job as a pastor is to equip you and to train you and then to send you out so that you can do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. But that's not how it works in most churches, is it? In most churches, what I've noticed is that the church sort of expects the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do the work of the ministry. And then and the normal people just sit back and they consume it. But that was never the heartbeat of Jesus. That was never the intention. Guys, God never intended, he never intended for you to come to church and sing some songs and listen to a sermon and then go on with your life. If, if that's what you're, I, I'm going to say something difficult here, but hang with me. I say it in love. That if that's what your Christianity looks like, that you're coming to church, you're singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and then just doing your thing the rest of the week, then you are completely missing Jesus' specific call on your life. The way that the Lord designed this thing is, yes, for you to come to church, but for you to come to church so that you can be trained, and for you to come to church so that you can be equipped so that you can do the work of the ministry. We have a bad habit of calling guys like me ministers, but when you look at the Word of God, you're the ministers. And if anything, I'm simply an equipper. And so, again, going back to the question, how important are you in fulfilling the mission of the church, and the answer is you're very important. You're critically important. Every single one of you that's a believer in the room today and listening to me outside of the room, you are vitally important to the life of the church. Really quickly, look at Ephesians 4.15, show you just how important you are. Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So Paul is saying, every one of us is supposed to be growing up into the head of the church, which is Jesus. And then verse 16 is one of the most important verses that has shaped my ministry and the way that I view church. Don't miss it. Verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. And so this is the body of Christ, and every single part of the body of Christ is joined together, and God equipped it with every single part of the body of Christ. Now watch what he says. He says, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. What did Paul just say? Makes the body grow. What did the scripture just say causes the health and the vitality and the, and the life and the growth of the body of Christ? What is it? Is it good preaching? That's part of it. Is it good worship? That's part of it. Maybe it's good children's ministry or student ministry. Well, that's part of it. But what the scripture says makes the body of Christ grow is when each part is working properly. If you're here and you're a believer, you're a part of the body of Christ. The calling on your life is to worship the Lord. Be trained and equipped by guys like me so that you can do the work and work properly, the work of the ministry, and get in the fight. Get in the fight. When I was writing my notes, I wrote those words. I was typed them, rather. Get in the fight. And it hit me that Maybe people don't understand what I mean by that. Where's that coming from? And I thought to myself, where did I get that phrase, get in the fight? And it, it hit me that I got it from the movie Top Gun. Now, Top Gun came out a long time ago. 
and I'm about to tell you the end of the movie Top Gun, and I think it was in, came out in 1986. I'm about to spoil it for you. So if I do, I'm sorry, you had your shot, all right? So Top Gun, about naval aviators, and they're in this vicious dogfight with this foreign air force. And Iceman, it's like the best fighter pilot. He's got his wingman with him, and they're up, and they're in this horrible dogfight with this foreign air force. And they're hanging in there, but it's getting really bad. And, and they're just vastly outnumbered, and they need help. And so the commander of the ship sends up Maverick, which is Top Gun, and his new wingman. But Maverick wasn't doing well because his old wingman was killed in an accident. And so Maverick was distracted. He was, he was a little scared. He was sort of rattled. He wasn't really into it. And so he wouldn't engage. He just sort of flew his plane on the edge of the battle watching what was going on, but he would never get in the fight. And so finally, Iceman starts screaming. It's getting horrible. He starts screaming at him over the communications. He's like, Maverick, get in the fight. Get in the fight, Maverick. Finally, Maverick engages. He gets in the fight, and they win. That's why I say it. But here's the reality of all of it, guys. This is no movie. This is real life. And if I were to ask you, do you believe in heaven? You'd say yes. If I were to ask you if you believed in hell, you'd say yes. But the reality is, is that there are literally millions and millions and billions, actually, of people that are going to go and they're going to die and they're going to spend eternity in a place that Jesus called hell unless you and I do something about it. Unless... Not more preachers, but more just everyday people like you. Raise their hand and say, I'm going to get in the fight. If we're ever going to reach this city for Christ, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because of people like you. I'm telling you right now. If we're going to make a dent in the Great Commission, if we're going to reach the nations for Christ, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because of people like you that say, I am ready to fulfill the role Jesus you gave me to fulfill the Great Commission. So I want to end today just getting really practical. I'm done. Two or three minutes here. I'm done. I'm going to talk more about this in the days to come, in the weeks to come, but I want to give you just some really practical things that you can do as an individual person to get in the fight, to fulfill the mission of the Great Commission, trample the gates of hell. Number one is you can pray. You can pray. Seems pretty straightforward, but it's an easy thing to do. I looked the other day, or rather I was asked the other day about, I asked a question about how does revival start? And it sort of caught me off guard. I hadn't really thought about or studied much how revival starts. And so I looked it up. I looked at some of the revivals in American history and some of the revivals in Europe. And here's what I discovered. A lot of different age groups and demographics of people God uses to start revivals, but there's one thing that's in every revival, and here it is. It's prayer. Every revival that I could find starts with prayer. And so what if, you, what if you didn't just talk about it, but what if you actually did it? What if you got up and your feet hit the floor and the first thing you did was start talking to God and, and you prayed for this church? You prayed that you would play the role that God called you to play in it. What if you, what if you made a list of four to five people that you know that don't know Jesus and every single day of your life you just prayed for them? Made a list. God, I pray that they would come to know you. I pray that you would use me to do it. Pray for revival. Pray for this church. Pray for yourself. Number two is get equipped. 
Get trained. Scripture's crystal clear. If you're a believer, you are to be trained to do the work of the ministry. Do it. Get trained to evangelize. Get trained how to study your Bible. Get trained how to teach. Get trained in an area of service in this church and, and jump in. If you're not in an Iconet class, Iconet classes are our Sunday school. They're our mid-sized gatherings. It's where you meet people. It's where you grow. It's where you get trained. If you're not in one, join one. They're awesome. Starting in September, on our Wednesday nights, Pastor Stewart is going to continue to teach and do his Bible study, but we're going to be offering a, a variety of all kinds of other Bible studies for you to come and be trained for ministry. Take one, grow, get equipped, get in the fight. Number three, invite someone. Invite someone. It's a really simple, easy thing you can do right now to do the work of the ministry. Maybe you're like, Matt, I don't, I don't feel equipped yet to share my faith and to evangelize. That's okay. You're going to get there. But one of the easiest things you can do is simply invite someone. Invite them to church. Invite them to a women's Bible study. Invite them to students. Just invite them to come be a part of it. You'd be surprised what God can do in their lives. Here's an easy one. You can give. And, and look, I know times are hard, so God is not looking at the quantity of what you give. He's looking at your heart. I, I, we, we, a lot of times, we, we come to church and, and we sort of sit back and just assume everybody else is going to engage and provide and support the mission of the church. That's not our calling. One of, the, one of my favorite checks I write every single month is to this church because I know that every single dollar of it is going to go to see eternal souls change for the glory of God. It's a simple, small thing you can do to get in the fight. And here's the last one. You can serve. You can serve. I, we have a, a tab on our website, sagemontchurch.org slash serve. And you can go to it, and you can see all the areas of need in our church. We need people like you, your believers, you come to Sagemont, we need you. And, and so I called Pastor Wes. I said, man, can, you, can I check out what all the needs are? And he said, sure. He sent me the link. I clicked on it. And I started scrolling through it. And I just kept scrolling, and I'm not exaggerating here. I just I kept scrolling all the needs, and, and that's just children's ministry, folks. And I, I kept scrolling, and then I started going faster, and I'm scrolling, scrolling. Point being, we have so many needs right here in this church where you can jump in, you can engage, you can serve. It's a place where you can find people, meet people, and I'm telling you, it'll be one of the best things you ever did in your life. Because there is nothing, there is nothing besides knowing Jesus that is more fulfilling than serving his bride, the church. Guys, make no mistake, each individual matters. You matter to God, and you matter to this church. And so don't ever be satisfied until you are fulfilling the calling that God has already placed on your life. All right, let's pray together. Take just a second with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And you're here, and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm telling you right now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said is that his eyes are on you. And he will leave everyone and he will leave everything to come and to find you. So just right now, in the best way you know how, let's give your life to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. 
to make you a new creation. Do that now. If you're here today and, and sort of hits you that you've been just going through the motions of church, and maybe you never realized that, my goodness, God has placed a unique calling on my life. Ask the Lord to show you what that is. And don't stop until you find it, until you, until you jump in. Lord Jesus, if there's ever anyone that is worthy of our service, of our, of our gifts, of our sacrifice, of our time, of our talents, it's you. And Lord, I pray that every individual in this room would not be able to get away from the amazing reality that you love them, that you love them, and that you've called them to play a vital role in this thing called the church. Lord Jesus, would you raise us up? Would you use us in this city? Would you use us in this country? And Father, use us all around this world to make known the name of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, the standing.